The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Hello, I'm Thomas Doherty. And I'm Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, the show for people around the globe who are thinking and feeling deeply about climate change and the personal side of climate change um, emotional responses and feelings and how this lands in our hearts and in our bodies as well as in our minds um, and for panu and i we're recording this here toward the toward the solstice time of the year uh, in the northern hemisphere although you might be listening to this later anyway panu my uh this is an episode i've been looking forward to this uh, cynicism episode in praise of cynicism, uh, I tend to joke that I am a cynical person, and I know many of our listeners might consider themselves to be cynical in various ways, too. Um, and so I wanted to kind of surface this in, in our discussion about climate, climate feelings, climate emotions. I want to open the door and have cynicism and all its cousins and friends, apathy and uh, misanthropy. <laughs> We're going to have a party with these, these uh, feelings. Uh, and um, going to bring them in and talk about them a little bit uh, in a compassionate, you know, in a compassionate and in a healthy way. I think so. You know, um, I know you and I have chatted a little bit, but what, where you, where does this go for you, Panu? Yeah, yeah, that's very suitable for the season. You know, the mm -hmm. dark feelings special episode. It's it's been very very dark physically in in Helsinki uh -huh. during the during the last last week. So really looking forward for the for the solstice and this ties in with my work also in this in the Finnish book about eco emotions that I published in 2019. I have a section about this sort of dark and malevolent feelings and that's something that I very rarely talk about because it's such a topic that usually nobody wants to really really talk about it so this gives an opportunity for that mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and listeners can help with different words and in, in languages outside of English around um, cynicism and misanthropy because I know there are concepts in many cultures all of our, all of my, my uh, searching seemed to lead me back to the Greeks, of course, and mm. and the Greeks and the Romans. Um, you know, so we've got cynicism as a general belief that people are selfish and dishonest. You know, in common, in a common way of thinking about it. And you know, I think sometimes that's being real realistic about the world and being open to this as a expectable response, given how things are going in the world. Um, but of course, there's that there's that deeper philosophical piece about living well in in difficult situations and, and eschewing the trappings of the world and going going toward virtue so within cynicism there's this there's more of this virtuous virtuous core so we might talk about that but uh, yeah what comes up for you personally what concepts or or personal feelings come up around you know cynicism and some of these feelings yeah that's Kynisyys in Finnish language so that also comes mm. comes from the, from the Greek and it reminds me of 
of the philosophical stuff also in some of the great novels both in world literature and in Finnish literature we have a very prominent 20th century writer called Mika Valtari many of his historical novels have actually been translated into many languages including English the Egyptian made into a Hollywood movie even way, way back in the 50s or 60s and those are interesting because he read a lot of philosophy and it's often characters who really go out and see the world and encounter all kinds of suffering and joy and all the shades of life and there's deep engagement with cynicism in those books and mm-hmm. I read a lot of them during my high school high school year years so that's been a foundational inf- influence for me but in the ecological crisis and climate crisis of course this brings up the the whole whole question about despair for for example and the so-called apathy is it really really apathy or is it masking deep suffering that people are experiencing mm-hmm. so amazing the eco-psychologist has written about this and René Lurchman mm-hmm. also with her concept of environmental melancholia mm-hmm. so I, I think it's a really important topic and also a complex one so so what one sees on people's faces and bodies may not be the whole sets of emotions that they have yeah so let's just flag some of these things for now or for later you know this this idea of carrie norgard is another uh person that's written around uh socialized denial and so yeah Renee lertzman and joanna macy so yeah there's there's the idea there's more under the surface there's a potential learned learned helplessness phenomenon where people they become apathetic because they have no options and it's a poignant story the learn learned helplessness research where they'd have you know, dogs, you know, in a, in some sort of laboratory where they would get shocks and they wouldn't be able to resist and leave, leave from getting this, the, the shocks. And so they would eventually just lay down and endure, endure the shocks, you know, and that's where that, you know, that's a kind of a kind of barbaric kind of research that I hope isn't happening right now. But, um, but I think we, we feel that way. I think sometimes, and I know some of our listeners do, I know I have felt that way. Sometimes you just kind of lay down and endure um, so anyway, the point being is there's a lot under this, so it isn't it isn't it isn't necessarily what we think. I have to say I embrace. I mean, I I feel like <laughs> I was born cynical or I grew up cynical. I mean, where I, I think about where I was from in Buffalo, New York, which is a kind of a rust what we call in the U.S. a rust belt kind of town. You know, an old city that was really great in the past, and then was really when I grew up in the 70s and 80s, it was it was pretty dark times for that city. There was not much economic growth, and it was it was. They had not yet learned to celebrate their architecture and all the history. So it was just a lot of rusting kind of buildings and hulks of old steel plants and things like that. And that's my family background is working class. And so I think, you know, one of the catchphrases was, you know, city of no illusions is what they call Buffalo, you know. So I had that coming in. And then, of course, I had my own family dynamics with, you know, my parents had a tough marriage and wasn't very happy and my get alcoholism and stuff like that. So I, I was kind of primed for, for, for a cynical outlook. So in many ways, as an adult, I've kind of learned to be post cynical a bit, you know, like what's what I'm still alive. So what's left? I might as well try some other things. Um, and then growing up in the 80s, you know, right, the Reagan era and the Sex Pistols were, were teaching me, you know, that I, there was no future, you know, you know, so there was no future. So I had a very much of a, that kind of 1984 kind of uh, kind of thing growing up. So anyway, every 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 generation has their their kind of their stamp and then our personal family. You know, and uh, even our psychology and our neuropsychology, we've talked a little bit about 
seasonal depression and you know being having low mood during the during the season so yeah that's that's interesting to hear here thomas thanks for sharing i didn't know that's um, buffalo part and i can, I can imagine the sort of disillusionment this, this mm-hmm. that's one emotion word that i've been exploring in relation to the ecological crisis also and yep. we've often been including some special words of the day and perhaps the old word of ressentiment resentment almost but written slightly differently that could be one because in many uses that refers to periods where people think that there is not going to be progress and the past appears as some as more golden than than the, than the future and it's it's difficult during those times the concept of ressentiment is is linked with 1920s germany for example mm-hmm. and then it can can of course give rise to many sorts of so, social troubles as happened during that time some of the psychosocial climate scholars i don't want to get too academic here but mm-hmm. nadine andrews and paul hoggett have been writing about this threat in relation to the climate crisis because if, if it starts to happen that there's more and more economic troubles also because of the pressures given by the limits posed on us by the modern human world it may be that these feelings of disillusionment start, start to spread in many places and pro- uh, i think there are already signs of that in many many areas yeah uh i'm searching for a title of a book i saw on mit press it was uh I'll see if I can find it. It was roughly about how bad can it get, I think, is the title. It's not that exactly not the title, but uh, um, yes. So looming around our feeling discussion is a context of this resentment and how it informed past cultures. And certainly in the, U- <laughs> in the U.S., there's a strong strain of this. And uh, so we've got, a cult- we've got a context to our feelings. It's, they don't exist uh, in isolation from the world. So there's that ecology. We are part of the world. There is that interbeing. Um, so we, you know, again, underneath this, there are these kind of beautiful things that we're, we're all connected. And, you know, these are real, real feelings. Yeah. And, you know, there's the different species of this. You know, I was getting into the whole idea of misanthropy and sort of either hating humans or negative views toward humans. And I think we need to air that a little bit. That's kind of a tabooish topic in some areas. But, you know, it's again, how could we not have some of this, you know, concerns about human behavior, quote-unquote human nature. But I think, personally, it's really more around um, the human systems that we, we have created that are, that are not... None of the systems that we have are, came from magic. They all were created by people, and they can be changed. So I think when we get into a bad system, that's where it brings out the worst in people. So I don't, I, my, my misanthropy is around human systems, personally, and some of the things that we create. That's how I come at it versus the in, internal to the people. Because I know there's good people. I've met good people, even in bad systems. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I very much resonate with, with, with that. And of course, there's a certain part dependency here that if you if you and your group go go down a certain road far, far enough, then it easily becomes sort of self-enhancing. But I really also emphasize this structural dimension around these these issues and related to so-called environmentalism 
which is of course a tricky thing that in public discourse it sometimes gets portrayed as an identity group even though mm-hmm. a, a vast number of people are interested about what we call environmental values but the discourse about whether environmentalists are misanthropic that's of course a very old or discourse also and it's been quite prominent in Finland too we have some special figures in Finnish environmentalism who have sometimes had quite misanthropic views and then it's been lots of debates and so on but one interesting thing about that is that sometimes in the behind is such strong caring and love for the modern human world that it then, then becomes so so difficult to see those places and creatures damaged or destroyed and that sort of then leads to some misanthropic comments which may not be completely logical either that was also seen in some of these Finnish environmentalists like mm-hmm. Pentilinkola for example so so, so so certain bitterness and being hurt are some of the emotional tones behind some some misanthropic environmentalist comments I think yeah and I think we need to open our hearts and bring this this stuff in I know I think it's a developmental task for us to go through these feelings. I know when I was younger, I, I wrestled with all of these things too. And is it is it worth living? Is it worth adding to the problems? Um, um, I was talking to a young man recently in my psychology work. He said something very poignant. Um, he's in, involved in sunrise movement and climate work and various other things and uh, really struggling with bringing out his views and how that might affect his relationships with his family around some areas. And, you know, I made a, I made a reference that, well, there's just landmines in every direction, no matter what direction you go, there are these, and, and he said something along the lines of, well, the, the path is the best path is the one that destroys myself or something like that, you know, in the sense that he, he was really thinking that he, it would be safest just to destroy himself, you know, than to, than to destroy his family relationships or these other things. So really we take this in and we, we, we sometimes come to even a sacrifice, a self-sacrifice uh, level here. Thanks, thanks for sharing, sharing that. I, I know that's very important for many, many people. And while I'm not a therapist, I've met in workshops some young people who have roughly similar similar, similar takes on, on, on life and feeling those those pressures and it seems that it can be linked with feelings of shame also and the mm-hmm. so-called species shame is one dimension of this. Mm-hmm. It's, um, Tim Jensen in his book about ecologies of guilt in environmental rhetorics discusses this for, for example and the, the troubling uh, questions related to what humanity is doing and then the possibility to feel a sort sort of species level level shame which then can lead also to self-loathing and sometimes even in self-harming behavior and that's been an important point for me i often emphasize that what we call eco anxiety is fundamentally very adaptive because it shows that people are paying attention to what's happening in the world and there's motivation to do something for the problems mm-hmm. but of course one part of this broad spectrum is uh, self-harming and even self-destructive behavior so it can can get really really hard yeah yeah and let's let's stay with this if you're listening you know this is this is these are heavy topics but we can we can bear these that's the, that's the thing that we're we can we can take these in because you know we're humans and we we can know what other humans feel and we, we you know we we can bring this into our into our hearts and we don't have to 
be collapsed by them. You know, we can have capacity to take to take these in a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, we, this goes in many many directions. Um, as I've mentioned, you know, in our conversations, how you know, opening to different ways that people approach climate change. There's the you know the deep, deep adaptation group and the dark mountain group and the various people that are embracing different forms of of just let's let's be open about the reality of this and the and the and the darkness and and you know I, I come back to you know when I'm teaching or when I'm advising counselors or whatever you know one way to think about it is three basic tasks here with this environmental stuff there's expression description and prescription right there's how do I feel about it how do I understand it and what should we do about it and so we're we're really in that how do I feel about it and that's that's an open territory and so we want to bring in people then you can you, you know and our descriptions obviously often are you know related to how we feel about things so people are going to describe things differently um but you know we want to we want to we want to work together we want to support each other exactly exactly and trying to avoid overly binary interpretations even though that's a very human temptation in distressing times mm-hmm. but this phenomena which is sometimes called with the words hopium or reverse hopium referring to the pressure to either cling on to optimism or then clinging on to very strong collapse beliefs, for example, mm. believing that in the next couple of years it will all go down, which is not very science-based either, then there are difficult questions to be discussed in relation to scientific estimates and and various downfalls or collapses and that sort of thing. But anyway, sometimes it's easy to see catastrophizing in these, these nar- narratives. So. so, Panu, hopium, is that the term that you used? Hopium, like opium? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know who first came up with it. It's playing with this term opium yeah. related to, to a drug and uh, for example, Jack Adam Weber from the west coast of the U.S. is using these both of these terms to refer to the temptation of either strong optimism or strong collapse beliefs. Okay, I've never heard that term before, so that's a new one. Hopium or reverse hopium. Uh, reverse hopium, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we get these terms. Schadenfreude, uh, uh, you know, this 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 idea mm. of of you know, and then you have this Cassandra uh, Freude, you know, like I told <laughs> yeah. you so. You know, so people feel that. So we feel a lot of this, these, these, these kind of things. Um, yeah, that's that's true. And uh, in in a manuscript that I'm hoping to get published soon, I'm discussing various climate emotions and feelings and Schadenfreude as one of them. You know, this joy when something goes down with some some other who, with whom you have a special relationship. And there's been discussion about the. American politics and the certain divides and, for example, the certain feelings of schadenfreude that people may have in relation to climate issues. And that, of course, can be quite, quite toxic. Yeah. Yeah. And there is some there is some joy in when a negative some aspect of a negative system tends to go down or there was almost a relief, I think, uh, in some in some forms during the, the pandemic, the height of the, the early height of the pandemic, when, when, when things were shut down in some ways. Um, I don't want to get too superficial about the pandemic, but yeah, there was certain parts of it that, you know, I know people felt things were simplified and it was easier and, and there were, there were no planes in the sky. It was, it was a quiet, beautiful sky and there was a lot of things there. So again, these are all feelings that we want to just open up to and recognize in other people 
we don't have to agree with them. We don't have to, you know, feel them all ourselves, but they are part of the, the situation. And again, I was talking to another, another person, another in my psychology work, who was bemoaning the fact that, you know, people aren't being taking more action around climate change. And he was comparing this to the World War II in the United States when people were really motivated to recycle and to, re to conserve and to do victory gardens, their own gardens, to grow their own food, to, to, to support the war effort. Um, and he was, he was bemoaning the fact that people don't do that now. And that, again, was a, a lead into that cynicism and, and misanthropy that people are lazy or, you know, consumeristic and things. But, but I, I had to really think that, you know, during World War II, the government here in the U.S., was mobilized and was mobilizing the entire economy to address this, mm -hmm. changing all the car factories to make airplanes and, and, you know, so the government was mobilized. And on top of that, it asked people to do more, asked people to go an extra mile. That's not what we've been seeing in the U.S. The government has not been mobilized. It's been sort of shifted to the individuals. And so it's a, it's not a, it's not a necessarily a good comparison in some way. So that it brings us me back to my systems piece here, you know, says it's not, don't blame the victim, mm -hmm. you know, don't blame the victim of the people. That's just my personal yeah, yeah. belief. Yeah, I've, I've often been, been saying to people that one of the complexities of the situation is that we are kind of victims and perpetrators, all of us in various proportions, but the problems are structural. So I very much resonate with your concept of climate hostages, Thomas, for example. Yes. And, yeah. And then, then um, for for me, it seems that uh, if we go very far into either end of this, you know, having a just a victim position or just just a guilty perpetrator position, then we end up into into even bigger bigger trouble. Of course, once social and economic context shapes very much the situation, but speaking about, for example, roughly middle class people in industrialized countries, so I think it's important to avoid both of the ex extreme ends. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, and you know, in my in my work that I know you're involved in around training counselors, I know I we talk about the front line, and there's a front line of action that people have to decide how, where they want to place themselves in terms of taking action. In this case, in, for some people, the uh, apathy is not is not an option. You know, it's an, it's a luxury that they can't afford to have uh, because they're on the front line every day. And so that's where I think we get some of that kind of middle class or American, you know, upper class shaming, like, well, you, you can afford to be apathetic. I'm just surviving here. So, um, but yes, there are people that are listening that are on the front lines that are acting and that's, they have no choice. You know, as I say, you know, some are, some are born on the front lines, some, some achieve the front lines and some have the front lines thrust upon them, you know, to paraphrase Shakespeare. But, uh, you know, so there's people out there that for this is like, okay, sure. You can sit somewhere and be apathetic, but I, I'm, I'm out there right now making a difference because I have no choice. It's my own survival, my family, my community. So again, that's that's another energy to mm. tap into here. Exactly, exactly. And there's real reason for bitterness for, for many people. And then it goes to sort of existential and spiritual matters all, also. And, and those very deeply human tasks that are we able to avoid 
the worst in us, even in very troublesome conditions. And I think there's lots of compassion and human understanding needed and then very strong voices coming from places of, of suffering where they also see the task of, of humanity to try trying to not become too toxic, even though the situations can be very horrible. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to, you know, we won't get into it today, but, you know, we've been talking to people like um, Jade Sasser and Britt Ray about people's, you know, thoughts about having children and that that's, that's, a, that's an angle on this and the idea, should we bring new people into the world? And that's something that people, you know, wrestle with regarding some of these issues. And we've got some other, you know, programming that we're getting at that. Yeah. And then, of course, the spiritual piece about, for listeners that have more of a, uh, either a stoic uh, uh, outlook or a Buddhist outlook, you know, there's the idea that, you know, we, we, we try to work on our virtue and despite whatever the situation is, you know, um, I don't know a lot. I mean, I'm no expert on, on Buddhism myself. I mean, I'm, I'm inspired by these ideas, but the idea of a bodhisattva, mm. you know, the idea that I, I know how difficult the world is and I am enlightened, but then I choose to go into it. Mm. I, I, I choose to come back into it to help others and the help and the liberation of other beings so i think there's a i know that's some piece of that helps to 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 buoy me mm. you know that i'm i'm still alive you know it's like the old monty python you know i'm i'm not dead yet you know i'm still here <laughs> you know and so uh i'm not i'm still here mm-hmm. you know I, I, i've been through I've been through the Sex Pistols, the no future phase for a long time. What's left here? Yeah, that reminds me of of a great European movie from the Polish director Krzysztof Kieslowski. Mm-hmm. He's got this three colors trilogy where the yeah. main idea in the second film is that a person has become so pessimistic and despairing that wants to die and asks uh, his friend or friend to 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 do do that. But this is sort of spoiling. Sorry for. This for that but in the end the friend fires a gun uh, with a with a false bullets and so the, mm-hmm. so the man really thinks that he's gonna gonna die but then when he doesn't he ends up realizing the the ex- existential va- value of life it ends with ce- ce- celebrating no, and, and the, that's one one take on this sort of ancient ancient issue on despair and pe- pessimism and still finding life life valuable in the midst of that so mm-hmm. opposing nihilism but being very honest and open about the despair and even hopelessness at points i think that's that's very important yeah and so i think we have both characters you know inside ourselves uh you know all the time uh yeah yeah and then uh and as we move toward the end you 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 had a thought about uh a person that we tend to refer to a lot, Tim Lomas, and some of his work on happiness and cross-cultural, you know, words. But uh, I, I'm trying to get my head around this idea of um, the good side of envy. Mm. Could you say more about that? Yeah. Uh, Lomas's book called The Positive Power of Negative Emotions is a very interesting read. And I like the way that Lomas categorizes two kinds of envy. There's the vicious one where you sort of want to take from somebody 
something and then there's what he calls empathetic envy which comes close to admiration and goes to the constructive potentials in in envy so so this idea of trying to stay open to the various emotions and feelings we have even though they may be on the dark side something that our societies and us ourselves wouldn't like to accept in ourselves but if we can if we can encounter them then there's also the possibility to try to work so that we could channel them constructively. For example, try to modify our envy into a more empathetic envy and admiration side. And that's of course one force that has really led things forward in the world. Even environmental matters, you know. There's lots of people in Finland who are comp- complaining about climate matters, but then when your neighbor installs solar panels and, and says how much energy money he saved then there's quickly spreading of panels on the neighborhood Mm. yeah yeah so again we've we can we can play around these emotions they have they have kind of shadow sides and 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 also odd size unexpected sides i think that's a good exercise for me and i'm going to try that today is to think about people that i do respect and admire and and see about um having some of their 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 themselves in my in my psyche um, I might encourage our listeners to think about that as well. Mm. Yeah, we've got to wrap up here in a moment. I, I'm going to deep in some, in some poems as well for my therapy training group around art. And, and I've got this poem of uh, Theodore Ruthke, uh in a dark time, which is, a, which is something that I was thinking about for today. You know, and he has some beautiful lines about in a dark time, the eye begins to see. You know, I meet my shadow in the deepening shade. He has some beautiful lines. Uh, you know, what's madness but nobility of soul at odds with circumstance? He says, the day's on fire. I know the purity of pure despair. My shadow pinned against the sweating wall. The place among the rocks, is it a cave or a winding path? The edge is what I have. You know, he has some of these great, mm. great lines in the poem. I'll, I'll share the poem with you and we'll put it in the link, but... You know, so I think we want to express this stuff and, you know, bring it in and remember that there's more to the story. Mm, exactly. I'm going to look, look, look out that poem. Thanks for sharing mm-hmm. it. And, and thanks to all the listeners for being with us on this sort of journey during dark times before the solstice and in the terrain of many, many dark emotional tones which then may have some some secrets in them yes so it's either a cave or a winding path i'm not sure and you can help we can all help decide about that so pano good luck uh with your uh, coping with the darkness here uh up in finland and uh, i'll do the same thank you and i'll talk to you again soon take care everyone take care